everybody. Welcome back to the Greenwalk and Lane podcast, where queer friends and allies gather to review and discuss the original X-Men comics from the 1960s. Except once in a while, we take a book from 2009. We've been uh, reading in the old original books in the 60s, all the backup stories that feature the origins or the prehistory of the X-Men. Uh, one of those was an Iceman story that we saw uh, explored. And uh, we are going to go and do some origin stories set later in continuity or written later in time, but set in the original continuity. I phrased that terribly. Uh, <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna be doing uh, an issue called X-Men Origins Iceman today from 2009. We'll get to all that in a minute, but it's based on Iceman's original origin stories from the backups. Uh, so this is kind of a fun placement for it. It's gonna be a very Iceman day on our podcast today. I am uh, thrilled to be engaging with uh, three friends of mine. Uh, I've had a chance to get to know Josh Trujillo and Terry Blass both uh, a lot uh, over the podcast. Terry and I are friends in real life as well. Uh, and then I got to meet Josh in person as well as uh, Mr. Luciano Vecchio uh, while I was in New York City for FlameCon just a few days ago. We are recording this on um, uh, in late August, even though it'll be a few weeks before it comes out. So I literally was just hanging out with you three uh, like 72 hours ago, which is wonderful. Uh, as I'm welcoming you each here, let us know your gender pronouns, where we might know you from. And then kind of a heavy question during introductions today is, tell us about uh, a crazy coming out story. Someone that you love that reacted poorly to you uh, coming out. Since we have a full queer panel today, I thought that would be a fun, uh, if heavy question. Uh, so let's go in the order of uh, Luciano, Terry, and then Josh. Okay. Hello, I am Luciano Vecchio. Uh, he, him, my, my pronouns. Uh, you might know me as mostly as an artist, comic book artist. I did Ironheart, Champions for Marvel. Uh, a lot of Marvel Voices work where I started uh, my side gig of being also writer. And most recently, I did the Marvel Voices Iceman miniseries for Marvel Unlimited as both writer and artist. And as for coming out, um, I don't know if I have made something, I didn't have very like strong, violent reactions, but more like the subtle concern slash microaggression uh, <laughs> uh, kind of, I don't know, concern about how this will be or but actually projecting all our fears and prejudice uh, from parents family some friends that uh, get away in time uh, but yeah i don't have any like super fun <laughs> uh, or dramatic story uh, it's it's uh, I, I work as a therapist here and I hear coming out stories a lot. And I, I'm telling people sometimes when they're going through the trauma of coming out, like the stories that are happening to you right now, although they're super traumatic, you'll laugh about them in a year or two, which is a, an interesting thing to uh, to consider. Uh, how lovely to have you here, Luciana. Thank you. Uh, let's go to Terry next. <clears throat> I'm Terry Blass. Um, my pronouns are he, him. You can use any of them, though. I don't care. Um, and I forgot what else. What else am I supposed to say? You might know me from um, a webcomic I did called You Say Latino, um, or I guess my run on Reptil for Marvel. Um, 
my coming out story. Let's see. I had a family member tell me they didn't want to speak to me anymore because I'd killed them. Um, <laughs> and I thought that that would always so, sort of hurt me. But I, like you said, I started laughing. So I guess that came a bit quicker. Um, I was like, all right. <laughs> um, and I had other people tell me that I wasn't allowed around their children anymore and things like that. Um, family members. And I was just like, okay, see you at the wedding. Cause we were all going to another family member's wedding later that month. But yeah, <laughs> that's pretty much it. It's great to see you, Terry. Welcome back. Mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, over to Josh. And Josh, I just was listening to your voice. I was editing our uh, Cerebro podcast together just uh, earlier this morning, and it's so fun. Uh, welcome back so soon, my friend. It's good to see you. Oh, thank you for having me again. Uh, I'm Josh Trujillo, he, him. I'm a writer, so I've done Hulkling and Wiccan for Marvel. I co-created Aaron Fisher, The Gay Captain America. And I'm doing Blue Beetle right now for DC Comics. Um, as for my coming out story, um, I first came out to an anime message board when we were talking about Digimon and Gundam Wing. So I came out and I was like really stressed about this because I was like 13. And I was like, I'm gay. And then literally like 10 other people were like, wait, I'm gay too. And so it was just like this nice coming out like marathon session, bam, 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 bam. Did not go as well in real life, but I'll always love that message board for this. Uh, I, uh, lastly, am Chad Anderson, uh, the host of this show. So if you are listening, you likely know who I am. Uh, I've actually written a memoir about my coming out story. So the story I'm about to tell is really dramatic, but I've already told it publicly. Uh, I, uh, my dad left when I was like 11. And so when I finally came out later, I hadn't had much of a relationship with my dad, but he had a very poor reaction to my coming out and kind of called a meeting one day where he was trying to be very reasonable. And he's like a very serious person. He sat me down and he goes, Chad, I've been giving this a lot of thought and this being gay thing, I'm realizing it's not something that you chose. It's almost as if you had been born a mongoloid or a midget. It's a condition that you have to learn to live with. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, stop it right now. <laughs> like this, uh, this is not a conversation we're going to continue having. Um, anyway, I have a chapter in my book called The Mongoloid and the Midget. <laughs> It's all, all about that story. So some of those things that were really traumatic at the time uh, are almost humorous in retrospect. Um, but uh, a lot of our audience is queer and they have their own versions of these very heavy stories. Um, uh, we're going to talk a lot about coming out when it comes to Iceman uh, today, which is the, the relevant content. Um, now, I know all of you guys are friends and associates. Uh, it was wonderful to to hang out with all of you. The the little queer kid in me was so thrilled to be at a, a queer convention. Uh, I uh, Back when I used to work for Marvel, I did some of the con circuit, but I was still closeted. So to be at a queer space with queer people and queer fans and queer themes, it was just wonderful. How was each of your experience at FlameCon this last week? It was great for me. It's just, if it's just like what you described, it is like safe, relaxed, we're between peers, family, uh, and I mean, uh, I always prefer queer spaces for social interaction in general. And so it's great to get to mix that with our profession and uh, the comic side of our lives. Uh, so it's been great. I get to um, share time with all my, my friends and peers and colleagues. And, and it's been like a, 
uh, an arc <laughs> for me because uh, I don't know three or four years ago was my first uh, FlameCon and I went as uh, attendee and I didn't know anyone. I I I wasn't as known uh, and I felt like this is where I want to uh, my career to lead. Like I want to be part of this. Uh, and that was very inspiring. And well, years later, here we are. So, uh, FlameCon <clears throat> means a lot to me, missionary. Uh, Terry, Josh, anything you'd like to share? I think um, for a lot of people, for me certainly, it was my first convention back in a couple of years. Um, so it felt really good to be back and be able to chat with friends and other artists and writers and readers and. Um, it just it was uh, very reinvigorating, and I think sometimes when we do a convention afterwards, we're like tired, but we're also creatively inspired. So it was really good for that. Yeah, it was like uh, it's so nice after a few years to come and see all the queer creators and like the best and brightest, you know. But like uh, I don't know, we only normally get to see each other at the end of a convention when we're very tired and just want to go back to our hotel room. So for all of us to like actually sit down and have a meal together like we did, or like just casually talk to the booth next to us was like so sweet. And like when I started doing, this kind of relates to Iceman's deal, I guess. But when I started doing comics, they told me to change my last name because it sounded too foreign. And then they told me not to write any gay stuff like at all. And this was like in 2006. And so you know, right around when this comic came out, I guess. So just it changed so much that now we have enough queer creators that we can fill an entire ballroom with it. I, uh, I, I mean, a personal thank you to each of the three of you and to others at the convention who were so lovely and welcoming to me uh, in your space. I, I felt not only like celebrated, but like I got to spend time with each of you and be friends and, and have uh, a lot of really lovely conversations. Uh, Luciano, that was our first time uh, meeting or interacting. And uh, I got to tell people uh, as I'm talking about the podcast, like Luciano's coming on the podcast soon. And universally, everyone I was talking to there uh, was just had wonderful, wonderful things to say about you and your work. Uh, it really was dawning on me how well respected and loved you are uh, in this queer community as a creator. Uh, telling queer stories. Uh, and so um, I'm really excited at the opportunity to interact with you today and to have you on the show. So thanks for being here, Matt. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, tell me a little bit about your journey uh, to, I don't know, from from comic book fan to comic book professional, if you will. Let's kind of start there. And then uh, I have a lot of questions about Iceman mostly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So previously in my life, uh, I am from Argentina. I grew up in Saturday, a small city near Buenos Aires. Um, so it's very, I'm, I'm almost 40, turning 40 this year. So uh, back in the 80s, early 90s, we, we didn't have access to a lot of comics, but I have an older brother and he will start traveling to Buenos Aires for college and back and forth to home on the weekends and build and grow a collection of Spanish translations of uh, comics and that was part of my everyday life uh, forever. And I, I grew up around uh, 
I know. Uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths was one of my early <laughs> comics, so that 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 was my uh, imaginary playground. Um, uh, I don't know. I, after finishing high school, I was very lucky uh, to start doing my first commissions and um, work for people here in the States through uh, a very early version of the internet. Uh, I don't know, I accumulated a, a volume of work big enough. I had uh, the luck to, um, like my, my early work was a series called Sentinels by writer Rich Bernatovich, and it was four books, like 200 pages each. And <laughs> so it was a huge learning experience doing actual comic pages and getting paid for it. So uh, when years later, I got the chance to to uh, do samples and start uh, uh, knocking on doors uh, at DC and stuff, I, I had a, uh, I was formed, I, I guess. So for a while, I, I did a lot of license related work for both DC and Marvel like the the cartoon based comics and storybooks for children uh, and after a while i decided i didn't want to do that anymore and uh, i don't know they started over like doing samples from scratch i wanted to do my style and and i know working with my interest in the middle i uh discovered myself as a writer doing my creator own work and there was no turning back from that uh like i saw myself as an author with something to say and uh, i i don't know i guess that started showing in my work and people started appreciating it um so for the last few years i I had the the opportunity to work with with my own style at, at Marvel, with mostly with Ironheart, uh, which was the the longest uh, series I worked on. And then when the Marvel Voices series started, I when the they put together the, the first anthology, uh, I was uh, called as an artist. Uh, but then I took the chance like or the risk to propose a story I wanted to write also, which is the 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 first time that all the queer heroes of Marvel go together to pride as a political act. Uh, and they liked it and and they went through with it. And I think that was another turning point. Uh, like fully connecting my professional interest with my personal uh, interest as a political person. <laughs> uh, still navigate, navigating that, I guess. I, uh, I love so much of what you've done at Marvel. I'm unfamiliar with your DC work. I know all three of you were, have uh, done work at DC and I haven't read any of it. <laughs> I'm not anti-DC, I just didn't grow up with it, so I never read it. 
but uh, a lot of your Marvel work, Luciano, I uh, we will not talk about today, but let me throw out just uh, a couple of my very favorites. Your work with e-viewing on Ironheart uh, was so wonderful. Uh, not only as a uh, a person who loves seeing representation in comic books, so to see a, a young black female as the lead, uh, but there was so much continuity woven in the the villains she faced, the way she was tied in, the way her her family was um, fleshed out. Uh, Midnight's Fire is a, a fantastic villain, as an example. So uh, just great work. Uh, I loved your King and Black Wiccan and Hulkling, who I know uh, our characters Josh knows well. Uh, and then uh, your work with Danny Lore on Champions. And I got to know Danny at FlameCon as well. And I'm so impressed with them. Just incredible. Uh, so I, re I, I went and reread uh, your, your Champion stuff as well. Uh, but I want to focus a little bit on Iceman. Uh, and um, let me center in for just a moment for our readers as we put this conversation into context. Uh, Iceman, uh, and I, I just sent this to Luciano, but uh, Rob Salerno and I did a two-hour uh, uh um, web episode, our Patreon episode on Iceman's parents. And it's actually pretty great. Uh, I, I'm pretty pleased with it. But I went back and read all of the, appearance, uh, the appearances of his parents and really got to put into context the journey of this character over the decades. We haven't done an Iceman trial on Grey Market yet. We'll get there eventually. Uh, um, but uh, this is a character who was uh, initially written as a very young teen. And I think the portrayal of him as a young teen uh, we can read into it as being queer, which is interesting. So in X-Men number one, when he walks away from Jean Grey, like, oh, gross, a girl. Uh, it was just a 16-year-old boy is the way they're writing him. But we can go, oh, look at the look at the queer themes here. Uh, we add a lot of story back then. Anthony Oliveira told his story about Iceman coming out to Magneto uh, in one particular Marvel Voices story. But it wasn't kind of until the 1980s for me when writers started writing Iceman as gay without actively saying that he was gay. And the the first place that really shows up is in the J.M. Demetrius De Iceman limited series, uh, then carrying that over into Defenders. Many writers after that still did not treat him as gay, though. He had lots of romantic relationships with women over the years, lots of inferiority complex stuff showing up. So some writers seemed to be in on the joke and others did not, which brings us up to uh, Brian Michael Bendis telling the story about the time-traveling original X-Men coming into the present. Jean Grey outs teenage Iceman, who then outs adult Iceman. And uh, then uh, there's a bunch of stories told. Iceman, the teenager, briefly dates a guy named Romeo, who's an inhuman. Then he has to get sent back into the past where he has forgot that he was ever gay or that he ever came out. So it's a huge sacrifice he made, which... Then is context we add to this character as he's been messed with in his mind all of these years. Uh, so Luciano, uh, you told some Iceman stories uh, through your work on Marvel Infinity, first in the, the holiday one shot and then in your four part Marvel voices. Uh, and first thing, uh, I just am so impressed with how much you did your homework. I felt like you took a list of things that I wanted to know about Iceman and took time to answer all of these questions uh, in a really lovely way uh, in a story that's very family driven and is very much about Iceman kind of wrestling with his journey and his trauma. So, uh, I mean, we'll get into this in a minute, but the issue we're going to review today was written in 2009 by a queer writer. 
And Iceman was not officially out until 2012 uh, by a non-queer writer. So uh, even even in today's issue, there's hints that he's queer, but it doesn't quite stand out because uh, it wasn't allowed to be portrayed. Uh, so let me, uh, uh, Luciana, let me hear you if you're willing to share your journey with this character, Iceman, and some of the work that you had to do in order to prepare yourself to tell the stories you wanted to tell with him. Uh, well, thank you for <laughs> noticing. I like doing my homework, uh, especially like, I didn't know I had a, a nice man story in me until they asked uh, if I wanted to, to teach this uh, for part. And uh, so what I did was I started with Sina's book, uh, which is the, the most impactful for me. Um, and, and we're referencing Cena Grace's Iceman yes. series, which ran after Iceman came out. So we had a gay writer writing gay stories about a gay character, and it's great. It's, it's a good run. Yes, and I mean, in recent years, is what you think of when you think of Iceman. Um, and when this book came out, it really resonated with me. I mean, I couldn't identify with that moment in Bobby's journey, which for me was a longer time ago. I came out to my family in uh, 21, almost 20 years ago. Uh, so I, I thought uh, if I'm doing a, another arc now, I wanted to reflect what it feels now, like later. Uh, after uh, dealing with all that part of life. Um, and also reading everything that came before, uh, but with this current status quo in perspective, um, I, I don't know, I, I, I like like taking a few steps back from the timeline and seeing what emerges as constants, as themes, as elements that build the mythology of what Iceman is, uh, what he represents. Um, and the challenge is uh, to find something that uh, makes Iceman uh, his own character and not uh, just what applies to any other X-Men. Uh, so, I, I, I don't know, and I, I also wanted to write him as a superhero. Uh, I start every episode with the tagline, the coolest superhero of them all. Yes. And I fully uh, stand off, uh, on, on that uh, uh, mindset while writing him. I. I don't want to justify. I don't. I don't need to uh, find a reason for him to. I, I just believe he's the, the coolest superhero of them all, and and work from there. Uh, so what else? Um, yeah, and then I found uh, rereading his history, taking into account uh, the new developments about. Uh, how he's been gay all along, uh, but he came out and then he's forced back into the closet. And you can read all his growing up uh, from that perspective, and that informs a lot of how he acts and 
why he does what he does. Um, uh, even I let's go back to the the thing where Shin outs him. Uh, we usually see that that scene uh, out of context, like just the part where where Shin says, "Boy, you're gay." But what she's doing is actually confronting him uh, for being an asshole to Mashik. He's been uh, making sexist, sexist comments on his teammates, and she is taking uh, taking him to the side and saying, like, well, "What? What are you doing?" <laughs> uh, so it's not totally uncalled for. I mean, it's um, two friends talking out and. Uh, and I don't know uh, she's uh, I mean it, it's something more more active and with more agency that I think uh, it's usually talk about sure yeah uh, anytime you're outed I think it's uncomfortable but it, it's 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 pretty well written I agree and the relationship between the two of them is cute uh let me ask let me ask uh Josh and Terry if you will do you remember this being published do you remember Marvel revealing Iceman was gay and how did you react to it at the time if you were reading at the time or if you got the news back then I think I read it as it happened and it didn't bother me because of the context in which it was happening. She wasn't like outing him to the world, right? She was kind of like asking him as an aside about this. But the media, the comics media, the comics press, the blogs and whatever, really took this and ran against Gene as hard as they could. Yeah. <laughs> this is one of the, you know, this isn't Gene's fault. Although a lot of things are Gene's fault. This is not Gene's fault. Um, <laughs> Uh, I was excited about it because, you know, we owe a lot of this, I think, to X2, X-Men United, where uh, the, the character playing Bobby is is uh, kind of coded gay and we get a lot of interactions with his parents in the second movie. And so I feel like this is kind of like building off of that and kind of taking baby steps towards him being the Iceman we know today. Terry, how about you? Yeah, I read it when it was... <clears throat> being published, um, I didn't really have a problem with it the way other people seem to, uh, for the same reason that Josh said. It's not like she outs him to the world or to everybody else. I mean, she, I would assume that she, like, just kind of can't, you know, can't perfectly control her powers. So she kind of just hears what's going on in his head. So she knows this about him and, in a way, was probably trying, you know, trying to, what Luciano said, like, confront the fact that he's saying some sexist stuff to magic. Um, so yeah, I didn't have a problem with it. I thought it was fine. <laughs> um, but when I read it, I remember thinking, oh, I wonder how this is going to be handled within the comics for the rest of time. Like that, that did keep me interested in wanting to see what was going to happen. Uh, I remember reacting at the time with like, oh, they're finally doing it because there's so many hints along the way. One of the one of the things Rob and I talk about, if you go back and read the first Iceman limited series, there's a dream sequence where he's with all of the champions and he's kind of confronting it's, it's he's talking about being a mutant, basically. And uh, you see an image of him looking at in his dream. Hercules is in front of him and Dark Star is behind Hercules. And he's like 
but I love you. And Hercules is like, who, me? And he's like, no, I was talking to Dark Star, who's behind you. <laughs> like there's these, mm-hmm. there's these really obvious hints over the years. Uh, I remember like being really impressed with, uh, with them finally doing that. Uh, so Luciana, let's, uh, let's focus in on your story with Iceman for just a minute. I took time to write down, you opened each of your issues with, uh, with like little blurbs, like exclamation point, like emphasizing, uh, how Iceman is a hero uh, and what makes him unique. And I'm, I'm going to read some of these out loud very quickly. So you called him the chill champion of LA, your friendly neighborhood Iceman. Uh, you called him Astonishing, which is a perfectly themed Iceman pun. Uh, we get founding X-Man, Omega level mutant, well-time-traveled gay bachelor, terraformer of Mars, former teacher, pirate, and dot, 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 accountant. <laughs> Solo act X-Man, honorary Fantastic Four, master of all cold elements, the coolest superhero of them all, the glacial gladiator, the most awesome, indomitable, astonishing Iceman. Uh, you made him feel very epic with these uh, these blurbs, with these giant exclamation points. Uh, and you took this character out of a place where he's on Krakoa. He's really sitting with who he is as, uh, as an Omega level mutant who is now safe in a world uh, and you write him as a man who is sexually active, sexually positive. He's uh, kissing and sleeping with multiple people in your story. Uh, and he's also really wrestling with the death of his father and kind of his dad issues. Uh, so this superhero journey uh, that you put him on is pretty epic. It's a good Iceman story. It's kind of what we need. And it launches him to a new space. Uh, tell us about the story you were trying to tell with him. And uh, I would love to focus in a little bit on the relationship between Iceman and his dad uh, and your choice to kill his dad in your comic. You're a murderer. <laughs> tell us a little bit about your uh, your story. Um, so, well, I got this chance to actually write an Iceman arc. And I didn't know, know when when I will get another chance like this, or when we readers, everyone, will get another Iceman story, solo story in years. <laughs> so I decided I wanted to do everything I wanted um, and not like save, save ideas for later. Like we don't have time for that shit with Iceman. <laughs> we have to... Uh, so I, yeah, that was my approach, like jumping to a status quo the, that doesn't really need a lot of justification. Like he's been a superhero uh, aside of the X-Men and all this hyperbolic uh, narr- narration comes from, uh, it takes from, like the indomitable Iceman comes directly from Champions, number one. Sure. Uh, so um, yeah, I I wanted to it to feel like sort of an ultimate X monarch, uh, and also may be significant, like something important is happening and it changes him. Yeah, uh, for good words, um, and yeah, I want it's a little of. I know it's fan service, but it's fan service for myself. <laughs> like everything I wanted to see. Like, um, uh, of course, letting 
Bobby be sex positive and uh, a, a sexual person uh, after all he's been through. Uh, uh, I feel like he really deserves that. Uh, finally, like he was denied uh, that side of his person. Um, and also explore uh, social dynamics from a queer perspective with boyfriends, ex-boyfriends, friends, uh, queer friends, uh, non-queer friends, uh, and family. And, and yeah, I mean, uh, propose uh, and show uh, some ways to navigate those dynamics that we don't see too much in comics, but we do experience a lot in real life, uh, like being a close friends with, with your ex and, uh, or I don't know, uh, hang, hanging out with the other gays and on Krakoa and uh, talking about your love life. I mean, something as simple as that, we didn't get to see much of. I uh, uh, I love that. We see Iceman wake up in the beds of Christian Frost and his old teenage boyfriend, Romeo, uh, and a random guy that he saved in a parade. That we, he puts on a harness, he goes and dances. There's this cute moment where Iceman wakes up one morning and walks down the stairs and Christian says, oh, you have your costume on already. And he goes, no, this is just my underwear. <laughs> 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 it's it's delicious. Uh, I wanted to ask you specifically, why did you choose to bring the character Romeo back? Romeo's an inhuman character who has uh, kind of empathic abilities. He's like a nice version of empath from Hellions. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, why did you choose to bring this character back? Um, because he was Bobby's first work boyfriend, the first significant person, and he was written off very quickly and very... Uh, uh, an unexplainable way, um, and I have a soft spot for the story of the the one that got away and to reconnect in time. Uh, and I like empaths and that kind of power set. I I, I like writing that, uh, and I think it really uh, matches Bobby Shoney. Uh, so that I wanted to to explore. I also detect a lot of in inhuman phobia in the comic community. Uh, like, no, no one calls Miss Marvel or Moon Girl the inhuman, but Romeo gets that. And I call him <laughs> Romeo, actually, uh, because I think he's Latino. I don't know. Um, but yeah, that, that, that was my main motivation. He was his first, and um, I wanted to see what happened if they were connected and um, this is what <laughs> what developed. I, I wanted to explore uh, the um, overlapping of uh, different love situations in going on in Bobby's life. And these are the, I feel the, the, the people that so far has been more important to him in his life. Uh, Christian and Romeo. You made the smart choice of uh, of aging Romeo too, so it wasn't growing yeah, up and dating teenager. They uh they both aged ten years in a few months. <laughs> I did consider like bringing actual Romeo, like teen Romeo, and see what happened with that dynamic, like um, like a uh, um, um, 
you know, like transgeneration, uh, mentor mentee situation. Uh, but with yeah, but it, it I I went to the Roman, so I had to to wish him up. But other the uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna give spoilers for those that have not read Luciano's series yet. But uh, Iceman has a long, complicated relationship with his father, probably in a way that all of us do. <laughs> As, as gay men uh, in a new generation. But uh, uh, William has had heart problems for many years. And uh, Iceman is off giving a speech about global warming, of all things, and gets the news that his dad has passed away in the hospital. Uh, because he's refused to take Krakoan drugs, uh, uh, Iceman's mom is passive-aggressive, as always. And uh, there's, there's a really poetic comic book deliciousness afterward when Iceman has to battle a mystical version of a giant with his father's face on it as he uh, as he works out his dad issues uh, and he stretches his powers too far and learns he can kind of freeze reality. He gets stuck in a space where no one can reach him. He's isolated himself and it's only through the efforts of his friends to kind of reach through and melt that ice uh, and uh, and make him feel loved that he allows himself uh, forgiveness and healing through his grief. Uh, really fucking great storytelling, Luciano. It's a it's a really powerful and uh, and a really nice conclusion to something that that Bobby's been struggling with, frankly, for decades in publication. Uh, so I know I just summed a lot up, but I would love to hear from from each of you uh, if you have thoughts on this uh, about this journey of Iceman and his father and kind of wrestling with that grief. And it's ultimately through our friends and allowing ourselves love and forgiveness that we can move past it. Um, anyone who has thoughts on that? Well, I think that like, uh, you know, found family, chosen family are such a huge theme kind of, I think within the queer community that like for Bobby to kind of get past his like biological family issues, like of course his friends would be there for him. And like, um, I wrote Iceman a little, little bit and my hoping and Wiccan run and, you know, I kind of played onto that queer community element. Um, I always think of Iceman as hopelessly single, but I think hopelessly is the wrong term. You know, he's adventurous and he's having a lot of fun along the way. Uh, so, uh, no, I, I love the Iceman run. I especially love the New Year's Eve special. Um, I just thought that was so cute. Terry, any thoughts? <laughs> I love that run, too. <clears throat> I... Remember telling Luciano when I was reading his run that it felt very epic, especially in the artwork. Like there were so many great poses and so many dynamic things happening that it felt very exciting to read. Um, so besides the fact that it was a comic about a superhero who is gay and something that I would want to read, it was still just a great superhero comic at its core. So I really, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, and you're able to get so much into Iceman in just a short amount of stories. You know, you really kind of compress uh, all of that. And it's funny as like almost like uh, thinking about like Bendis' new X-Men run where he stretches everything out as long as humanly possible. Like this is a very tight, fast Iceman. And I feel like I have such a better read on the character now after you've been able to kind of recontextualize him. Well, thank you. I Actually, that... Um, yeah, I, I feel like uh, I'm not a big fan of the compression writing style that seems to uh, be more and more decompressed, <laughs> like and it never stops. Uh, and I feel for the infinite uh, format, like the, the, the vertical scroll, 
it actually works uh, doing the opposite. I, I kind of feel like for web comics in general, uh, because it kind of mimics the dynamic you have when consuming social networks and stuff on the internet. And we're always uh, getting a lot of information very compressed. So um, I, I feel it works in, in this case. Um, uh, uh, in regards of uh, the, the dynamic with, with the family and uh, the over arch of the whole story, I recently uh described it as uh this is a story about uh self-exploitation uh in the search of love in the wrong places <laughs> uh, um i didn't think of it like this while i was writing it but after i was done uh, this is kind of what it is about um it applies to at a meta level to, I don't know, even how, how we approach our work in this era uh, <laughs> and or close uh, love dynamics, uh, it's all there. I, uh, we were just talking about how FlameCon represents this safe space where we can let our guard down. And I'm realizing as we're talking, reading your series and Cena Grace's series as well, frankly, uh, we get to see a, a character being a superhero, struggling with issues, waking up in the bed of multiple different people, and then putting on a harness and going to a pride festival and making out with a guy that he rescued earlier. Like uh, the the queer kid in me is just singing at the idea of that, seeing this queer representation in a superhero world. It's really wonderful. We also got to see uh, Terry's character, Julian Quintero, uh, <laughs> briefly make an appearance in your Iceman run as he drops by. Uh, which was adorable. We got to see Iceman uh, surfing alongside Silver Surfer, which is something I've always wanted to see because they basically look like the same character <laughs> unless you uh, zoom in. Uh, and your art style with Iceman is great. The reinterpretation of his costume, the the light, the way you use the blue uh, on him. Uh, he's both cartoony and sexy at the same time. I'm a big fan, Luciano. I think it's uh, I think it's a really wonderful series. Um, I also wanted to toss out, you, you drew him... Uh, fighting Ichthalon, who is like the ice god that, uh, or, or entity that Doctor Strange channels sometimes. And uh, the the obscure handbook guy in me was like, well, you use Ichthalon, <laughs> that's fantastic. <laughs> but there's a moment where Iceman's trying to kind of wrestle with, uh, with himself during all this. And in just a series of caption boxes, you kind of give us his whole history in, uh, in, a, in a paragraph. And I'm gonna read that out loud really quickly. So in the middle of this battle, we're just seeing him reflect on these words. Traumatic mutant awakening, daddy issues, found family, time traveling, coming out, forgetting it, self-repression, champion, defender, omega level mutant. What love, li what love life? Christian, what's our thing even about? <laughs> Living for the X-Men cause, putting everything and everyone before myself. And as he's thinking through this, this is when he claims his power. Uh, again, really fucking great uh, storytelling. It's good stuff, man. Uh, do you want to comment on Iceman's battle with Ichthalon at all? <laughs> um, well, I, I I actually wrote that story in the after writing the the series, oh. so I got the chance to do the this special for New Year, and I use it as a chance to 
uh, first do an extra episode because I, I, I was so into Bobby's mind. Um, and I wanted more. And I also wanted to establish the timeline mostly, like uh, like uh, a film on panel uh, explaining how the the time loop works, uh, and that this is the same person we've seen as a Tim Bobby and old Bobby, uh, and put it in in chronological order. Uh, so that, that everything was an, an excuse for that, and also. Italon was in in my list of uh, of villains I wanted to 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 use, uh, but didn't have full time in the series. I mean, he, he is uh, mentioned in in, in the third chapter. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, I, I like uh, using like existing obscure characters. Also, Anuxa from the second episode and the. Uh, Daemon the second is based on another daemon that already exists. Uh, so every every villain I use uh, has a history in Marvel. Um, even the the purifier at the beginning. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, in general, I want to. I mean, part of half of the fun of working superheroes is who are they going to fight and what's. Uh, uh, even if, if in this story the all the villains are more of an excuse to explore uh, Bobby's position in the war, um, I I don't know I, I wanted to pull people from all across the Marvel universe uh, somehow related to ice themes uh, in the Marvel universe. Um, to expand uh, Bobby's presence beyond Krakoa and X-Men and that bubble. Uh, and also Italon represents uh, stagnation. He's a god of ice, but ice as a metaphor of stagnation. And I feel that that happens to Obi a lot. Like he's this cyclical character that gets upgraded, but then get put will push back to the background uh, in a team dynamic. Uh, so I wanted to acknowledge that and ultimately uh, find a satisfactory explanation. So when it keeps happening in the future, we won't see it as an inconsistency. Like uh, this is part of who he is, like he fluctuates. Uh, I love the use of the obscure when uh, when Terry gives us uh, a backstory for the Hag of the Pits or uh, Josh Perdue <laughs> brings in Hildegard into the War Scrolls. I, <laughs> those are the moments I sing the most. I'm like, yay, look at them using these great characters. Uh, uh, so much fun. Uh, it, Luciana, it's great to get to know you and to uh, to honor the story you're telling a little bit. But uh, but I, I, I think you're great. I'm excited to see what comes next for you. Um, with that, I think this is a good point to transition into issue review. Uh, we're going to still be talking about Iceman all day. In uh, in 2009, we uh, we had a series of X-Men origin stories being told. And this is one of those. We're going to be reviewing some of these books in the podcast in the next few months sporadically. Uh, we're going we're gonna to review the Iceman story published in November 2009. This is Iceman, I believe, his first time being written by a queer writer. 
Uh, I don't know. Do any of you know uh, Roberto Aguirre Sacasa in real life? I, I, I have interacted with him via email in the years past, but I've never met him. Do any of you know Roberto? No. So, uh, so we have Roberto uh, writing. Uh, Phil Noto, who we love, is on on pencils here. Rob Steen on letters. Nick Lowe and Dan Ketchum on edits. Um, there is a lot of backstory not used here. Uh, in in Jam DeMatteis's series about Iceman's parents, we learn a lot about them as people. They have different religions. Uh, Bobby's mom is Jewish and his dad is Catholic, and the rift of what that meant and uh, you know, Bobby's dad has a heart condition and lost a brother in the war. And there's there's a lot of stuff that was never touched on uh, in this series. This is mostly touching on the 60s backup stories I referenced earlier, but it leaves significant portions of those series out while adding more pieces uh, to it as well. So it's kind of an interesting interpretation. The art is gorgeous. Uh, it is, uh, it's a really pretty book. Um, uh, so we're going to talk about that today. Uh, so with that, uh, Luciana, do you want to kind of open the book for us? Tell us, uh, tell us what happens, and we'll do some reflection on it a little bit. All right. So the opening scene. But first, uh, this is some of my favorite art by Filnoto. Uh, I, uh, I remember following his art where before he was like big, and I. This is one of my favorite. I wanted to say that. Uh, so we're in uh, Fort Washington, Long Island, where uh, Bobby's mom is in the kitchen, um, and she realizes his Bobby's twelve-year-old in this scene, and he's just frozen up uh, the swimming pool. They have a really big swimming pool behind the, <laughs> the house, and it's a two-page spread uh, very dramatic about he uh, finding his power for the first time and not controlling it it's almost like uh i don't know like i feel myself expression because like he couldn't control something and he's embarrassed uh, and as a side note i hate when boys is the color as a blonde <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, so then we have this uh, they're talking about it and um, they the parents are accepting but kind of saying him like we love you anyway but you have to hide and repress this like no one can know um, uh, like they're afraid of the the social reaction um, there's this there's this like very tender moment he's 12 here right and his mom's yeah. saying you're special you're different from other kids and he turns to his dad and says dad what's wrong with me uh which uh, again ties into the story you told luciano about him uh reckoning with his father's rejections but it's just this very tender scene with this 12 year old bobby that sets up his whole character frankly uh, but then again, this uh, to go back to your very first question, uh, this is kind of more like my how my coming out uh, went. But when I was uh, already an adult, I wasn't 12, like over here. Sure. But I feel like, um, like sometimes parents have genuine concerns, but they're actually 
projecting into their their queer kids the their own fear and prejudice you mix it up with love and concern and it's all a mess so yeah. i think that's what's going on here um and then we see uh him growing up a few years like he's a more developed teenager and he's uh, learning how to on his own how to control his powers uh, just a bit he's icing up and uh, and literally turning to many of ice and then we see him in the schoolyard, I guess, with he, this girl, uh, Shudi, uh, and they're making plans for his birthday. I think they don't mention how old is, is he turning in this story. He, he joins. He joins the X Men when he's sixteen. He's probably fifteen here. Yeah, I guess. Um, but I don't know if it's like a like an accent, like something very important is happening in his birthday, um, which is uh, the local bullies driving by and making threats. Uh, so actually, we have the the first antagonist uh, boy faces and power ups for is uh, toxic masculinity. <laughs> um, and these two characters, Judy and uh, Rocky Beasley, are from those old backups in the 60s. So if you go back mm -hmm. and read the Arnold Drake stories uh, of Iceman's origins, these are characters that come directly from that story. Yeah. There's always a fascinating kind of metaphor about being a mutant and being queer at the same time. The idea of closeting your mutant status. Uh, it's, there's so many people who are told by their parents, like, you can be gay, but keep it hidden. As long as nobody knows, we'll be safe. Uh, just act straight, fit in, blend in. Uh, and uh, that idea of what it's like to let my power out. Bobby has to go out into the woods or, or lock the door in his bedroom in order to ice up. You know, <laughs> it's, uh, there's, there's a, strange, uh, a strange metaphor there. Uh, Josh or Terry, did you guys have uh, any comments on this, this kind of opening sequence? I always found that to be fascinating as well because there are definitely some mutants who have like a visible mutation they can't hide and so i think there's an added kind of layer to that metaphor there as well um i too love this artist i think her stuff is really great and this is beautiful i also don't necessarily though like when bobby is um colored blonde i'm like that's for warren <laughs> in my opinion <laughs> like that that's him um <clears throat> but this section I thought was a nice sort of, I don't know, it's like, it's, it's just telling his origin story. So it's a nice sort of intro to what we're going to, to get for the rest of the issue. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, go ahead, Josh. Um, no, the, the double page spread uh, is really powerful, I think. Um, and I'm kind of reminded, uh, Anthony does something similar in his Marvel Voices story, where he freezes a sim swimming pool, although that's because of his attraction to Warren, versus that's a childhood accident, right? Um, but you know, the parents come across as very compassionate. And I know that Bobby's relationship with his family is kind of one of his driving storylines over the years. But I thought this was handled really well. Um, and also just like, I love Bobby, like sitting in his bedroom, examining his himself and really trying to come to terms with his, his mutant identity. And like, so also like Bobby's like very like 
a passing mutant. You know, he doesn't have a physical deformity. He can generally control his ice form. Uh, and so kind of like it really makes it feel a little more grounded as a metaphor for queerness. And I think uh, it's Roberto, right? Or is it Robert? Roberto, yeah. Roberto did, is doing a really excellent job as like telling a queer-coded Iceman story before Iceman was actually queer. Right. Well, and there's also the, the, the mutant metaphor carrying over to the queer metaphor of we are taught to hate being queer in ourselves. There's so much internalized homophobia or in the comics, mutant phobia, where you're taught that this is dangerous. Uh, uh, I mean, here they're literally hunted for it, but, uh, but there's the there's that identity in our own psychology too. Uh, Josh, will you take the next section of the book? Tell us what happens next. Yeah, so um, Bobby's mom is watching Professor X on television. Um, this is pre-Professor X outing himself as a mutant, I believe. Right. So he's just that, kindly avuncular figure who's on the side of mutant rights and in fact in fact back in the 60s professor x whenever he was around the x-men he'd be like i don't know these kids i'm just here by myself. they have to like you guys don't know me like he was he was not out for a long time yeah and so um bobby's mom is like trying to be helpful and she's like oh bobby have you heard of this professor xavier character and i'm kind of reminded of being this is like a memory that got triggered from reading this section and but like, I remember my mom kind of like sitting me in front of like Ellen when Ellen was coming out on television, like, what was that, like 20 years ago or even longer? Um, and just being like, oh, this is interesting, isn't it, Josh? Isn't it? <laughs> but, um, I want to see Ellen in like Professor X's yellow chair. <laughs> see, and I'm... I'm picturing myself as a teen and my family didn't talk about it a lot, but like getting the news about Matthew Shepard uh, and like the gay bashings that were taking place and nobody's saying, Hey, did you see this news, Chad? Like, you know, question mark, but there was that tension of, uh, I mean, Bobby's reacting to the fact that the mutants are being attacked for being mutant uh, here, which is scary. Yeah. They specifically mention um, mutant bashing and the captions that Bobby's narrating. And he's every night, it looks like he's sneaking out into the woods and just letting his mutant flag fly, fly free. So he's just uh, doing his ice skating, uh, ice surfing, uh, kind of around the woods. And we get a cool, I guess it's a double page splash, because I'm reading it digitally, of, of Bobby really coming into his own and his power. And I think it's like an example of Bobby like developing his skills as the Iceman we know. Like he's a lot more capable, I think, even at this age than maybe you would have expected. So Bobby is kind of exploring the city he grew up in, and there's a lot of anti-mutant graffiti on the wall. Yeah. And he's confront he uh, he notices that kind of his that bully figure is uh, inside of the diner. And so Bobby uses this as an opportunity to kind of like freeze the wheels on this guy's car. Not very subtle, but I appreciate the gesture. Um, and then from there, Bobby returns home, and. He's uh, calling up Judy and he wants to watch an old movie. He's inviting her on a little date or friend date. Uh, and they go see what any fun loving 16 year old boy wants to watch, which is West Side Story. <laughs> um, that choice kind of puzzled me a little bit, but that's Bobby, right? Um, so did you also notice the the bikini babe that's on the wall of his bedroom? Like, uh, did you guys have that when you were kids? Like you had to, you're like blending into straight society and like <laughs> hang so girls I, in bathing suits on your wall. I just talked about this at FlameCon was that, you know, a lot of, I think a lot of gay boys do that. Like you know, there's that meme of like, oh, my son's not gay. He loves women. And then the women are like, 
Buffy and Scully <laughs> and you know what I mean? Like, okay. Um, and that's why in Reptile, I really wanted Julian to have a male pop stars poster on his wall. Because to me, that's like, you're able to embrace then who you are, your family's okay with it, you don't care. And I think that a lot of young gay men, you know, they kind of have that safety of like, that's my diva. She's my whatever. Oh, isn't she so hot? She's cool. But to be able to be open about liking a boy, I think is sort of the opposite of this panel where Bobby has this like bikini girl on his wall. <laughs> I must have known at least like 20 gay guys growing up or in college who would put shirtless men on their wall. And when you'd ask them about it, they'd be like, oh, I've just put it up there for like inspiration, inspiration. for the gym. <laughs> it's not what I jack off to. <laughs> inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> I had I Michelle Pfeiffer from uh, Batman Returns uh, <laughs> around that, that time. Yeah, yeah, I was about to say, Josh likes women. He likes Michelle Pfeiffer and Nancy Kerrigan. <laughs> 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 he listens to the song Barbie Girl. Of course he likes women. Um, <laughs> so um, Bobby's watching the movie. He... Uh, not so steadily puts his arm around Judy and Judy seems to be digging it while they're watching it. And there's a lot of like, are you one of them or are you one of, one of us narration happening from the film they're watching? And so that's kind of like Bobby decides, I guess, in this queer metaphor that he's going to be one of them, right? He's going to embrace his heterosexuality or fake a heterosexuality in this. Um, so he takes, this is the interesting part to me is like after the movie, him and Judy go out and they kiss in like a, a thoroughly romantic kiss and Bobby is ready to out himself as a mutant to Judy uh, when they're interrupted by the bullies again. Um, Do you think he was going to out himself as a mutant or as a, as a queer kid? <laughs> I think he, it's implied that it could go both ways, I guess. Yeah, it's really... And actually, funny. she's kissing him. Like, Oh, that's true. She has his arm around him. So that's interesting. So delving into queer history for a moment, and then I'll delve into comics history for a moment. West Side Story is a play, musical, dance, epic, crazy, fun, wonderful. I, I actually really love the film. But the, the director, the choreographer, and the composer uh, were all queer and closeted in the 50s and 60s. And basically the entire cast of dancers in West Side Story is also queer, but they're also, uh, they're all pretending to be straight, like hyper-masculine versions of like gang violence as they dance around the screens, right? The, uh, the choice of this is interesting, but when you go back and read the Iceman backups that I keep referencing, written by Arnold Drake back in the 60s, this is canon. Iceman, when you, when you go to this first story, Iceman and Judy are at West Side Story they walk out, they're talking, and that's when the bullies attack. So uh, so uh, Roberto gives us that same story, but instead they're like at a theater that watches classic old films because, you know, it's no longer 1963 in the, uh, in the canon. Uh, but yeah, the West Side Story inclusion is actually right from the 60s book. So you're like, mm, Bobby's taking his girlfriend, Judy, to West Side Story on his birthday. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> very gay here. Yeah, there's also oh, sorry. So there's also a very um, trans-coded character in West Side Story. Yeah, anybody. Um, you know this this young woman who wants to be part of the gang, but is very like male presenting, and so 
it's all, it's all it's like all in there. Her name <laughs> is her name is, her name is anybody's right? Am I remembering that? I think I that's remember. correct. I'm a bad queer. <laughs> Josh, what were you going to say? Oh, um, no, that's so interesting to um, to hear that that was part of the original backup strips because obviously, if you were cool in the '60s, West Side Story was really the epitome of that. And so, like, it's just funny now. Bobby's like chasing this old school cool or just bringing his gal to watch musicals. I remember one of the last dates I went on with a woman was when I begged her to go see Chicago. So it happens. Well, and girls, <laughs> if you're, if your boyfriend is very sensitive to your feelings and takes you to West Side Story, he might be queer. <laughs> he might be a mutant. Maybe Judy really <laughs> wanted to see it. <laughs> Maybe it was her choice. <laughs> Uh, uh, Terry, will you close out or, or take the next section of the story for us? Sure. Um, <clears throat> I think this takes us up to about page 16. Um, when Bobby's confronted by the uh, bullies, I guess, he makes these ice blocks around their hands, um, which I thought was sort of a fun use of his powers. Um, it reveals to everybody that he's a mutant. Um, he mentions that this is going against uh, what his parents want. And then he freezes uh, Be Beavis, Beasley, I don't remember his name, or Rocky, one of them. They're like, I'm a little confused as to who's the bullies, what their names are. Rocky but... Beasley is the only one named. Okay. Uh, oh, so that's the same person, Rocky Beasley. Um, but he creates this like ice, you know, in coffin, I guess, around him. I don't know what to call it. But um, the other guy's run this freaks out judy who we haven't really mentioned whose name is judy um and he tries to explain to her that you know he hasn't killed this guy there's air in there and she obviously realizes what he is she calls him a freak because um she can't bring herself i guess to say the word mutant and this hurts him but she tells him to run um which is strange because, you know, she's called him a freak, but then also sort of is, has this slight protection of like, you should get out of here, I guess. So um, to pause you briefly, Terry, really quickly. This is also from the original story. The gang comes in, Bobby's powers activate, uh, uh, Rocky gets frozen and then he rushes home. And there's some context added here. But part of the part of the really interesting thing here is Bobby is using his powers to protect her. And there's there seems to be a code in this story that these bullies are like going to sexually assault Judy. It's uh, it's like they're blocking Iceman and they're grabbing Judy and pulling her away from him, which adds some weight to the original story. Uh, so that that threat of sexual assault and Bobby's need to defend uh, shows a heroic side of him. He's willing to expose this secret in order to protect his friend. Uh, who's yeah, that's still horrified by him. That's why he um like his not that his powers kick in, but that's why he uses his powers in this yeah. moment. Otherwise, I don't think he would have if they were just sort of messing with him. Um, but he runs home. He heads home. Uh, his parents are there. He tells them that he's done something. And they know that he's used his powers. So they ask him if anyone saw. And he says he like, like that he had to. He had to do it. And they tell him to go pack, essentially. Um, he's packing. He has this internal monologue about suicide. Um, saying that, you know, he's heard a lot of mutants commit suicide and that that's not going to be him. Um, at that moment, the cops show up and his mother claims that the cops will protect him. 
It comes uh, to me, Bobby. I'm going to interject again. So in the original story, this is the most egregious change. There's a lynch mob outside of Bobby's house. They literally have ropes and they're planning to string him up. And the sheriff comes and is like, no, no, no. And they're like, what are you, a mutie lover? Do we have to kill you too? So when they send him away, it's the sheriff's like attempt. Like, We're going to lock you up to keep you safe, which is kind of the theme here. But Roberto left out the lynch mob. Like that's the biggest change from the original origin story to here, which is uh, it's just intense. We reviewed that in the, on the podcast. We were like, holy shit. It's 1968 and they used a lynch mob. Yeah, I mean, when she says that the cops will protect him, it cuts to Bobby in jail using his powers to see out the, the barred window. And that's where we get this like mob outside of the jail. Um, Bobby's dad is sort of protective of him. Um, suddenly there's this explosion and it happens to be Cyclops. And he wants Bobby to go with him. And Bobby is like, yeah, I don't think so. No, thanks. Um, for some reason, which escapes me, Cyclops blows another hole in the wall. Um, and he tries to take Bobby and Bobby uses a cool it one liner, um, and freezes Cyclops's, I think his shoulder and then freezes him. I think again, like the way he did easily. So sorry to keep interjecting in the original story, the mob is rushing in, they're going to kill them and hang them. And so that's why Cyclops is acting. So like, we got to get out of here right now. I don't have time to explain, but in this interpretation, Cyclops just comes across as like an asshole. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm going to zap you kid. Like fucking do as I say. It's uh, it's a little rough. I just don't understand that blowing a hole in the wall to get in and then like blowing another <laughs> hole. is like, it's like what, but there's already, you can get out through the one that you, all right, Cyclops. <laughs> well, uh, the original uh, meaning of X Men is extra. <laughs> There's no extra. <laughs> yeah, that's a T-shirt. I want that. That's, uh, that's the X's for extra powers. Yeah, that's right from the first issue. Uh, go ahead, Josh. No, I mean Bobby does this a lot, where he like freezes people in these ch these blocks, and he goes out of his way to explain, I think, to Judy that like, oh, they're not dead. There's like oxygen <laughs> in there, and I'm like, they will still freeze to death. Like, there's <laughs> Bobby, really. <laughs> so he does have the Cyclops, which is, I mean, fair. Cyclops is grabbing him, taking him who knows where. Uh, so I'll take over and kind of present the end quickly. Cyclops takes Iceman outside. Professor X is waiting. He doesn't want things to delve into further violence. He basically tells Bobby, I have calmed down the mob in front of you. They're going to forget all about you now. I sent your parents home. Basically, I'm messing with everyone's minds in order to keep you safe. Uh, he tells Bobby about the school that he runs in Westchester and how he wants to train him. And Bobby is the second recruit to the X-Men, which a lot of people uh, don't realize. He calls his students gifted youngsters. And uh, he wants to alter everyone's memories to make them forget that Bobby is a mutant. Bobby is a little bit worried. He he, uh, he considers his parents. He says, if you change their memories, uh, they won't really know me. My mom and dad, we're going to be strangers. And uh, Professor X basically justifies all this as saying, you'll learn, Robert, that sometimes, sometimes it's better for our loved ones not to know. Uh, Bobby agrees to go. He's 16. Who knows if he's being mentally coerced or, or altered here, but he has to say goodbye to everyone whose memories have, uh, about him have changed. He leaves his parents. He says goodbye to Judy. 
uh judy doesn't remember that he protected her like uh their their memories are completely different now and uh then he gets in the car leaves his hometown and goes back to uh new york uh or westchester when they get there professor x basically says you're going to be iceman now uh there's a there's an image uh on the final couple pages he says i think cool thoughts i'm not afraid and uh, he ices up uh he he's protecting himself from his own vulnerability by covering himself in ice uh which says a lot about his character as well he says uh i'm a mutant i guess i'm soon to be an x-man whatever that is and we see him kind of put on his big trademark Iceman grin and uh pretend to be okay and that's how things end I would love to hear your thoughts on Professor X's intervention here and what Bobby might be going through. Uh, are his dad issues entirely related to the fact that Charles Xavier egregiously uses his telepathy without consent? <laughs> Let me hear some of your thoughts on Xavier's portrayal here and uh, what happens to Bobby. <laughs> I think it's so fucked up, <laughs> especially the uh, the panel where Charles says. Uh, Sometimes it's better for them not to know, uh, for your loved ones not to know. I think that's, I wholeheartedly disagree with that statement. Um, uh, so yeah, I think it, I mean, this is taken directly from the original story where we wouldn't, uh, I don't know, charge these actions with today's perspective. But this is exactly the part where I guess I, I, I would uh, have wanted to update uh, some dynamics uh, a little to current standards. Uh, I don't know, it feels uh, like that to me. I would love to write a story someday, uh, and hopefully this isn't spoiling my opportunity, uh, where Professor X is powerless and he is required to sit down and listen one at a time as everybody that he loves comes through and says, here's how you fucked up my life. Like, I realize you had good intentions, but you fucking hurt me and it's not okay. I would love to write that story, just the reckoning of all that. Uh, Terry, any thoughts here? My biggest thought <clears throat> about this scene with Professor X is that I was a little confused because there's a panel where he says, you know, I run a school and it shows like mutant kids walking around. But then it also says Bobby's the second student at this school. Yeah. So yeah. Um, is this like a prophetic vision of the future? Yeah, I think, and, I think it's what know, he thinks the so, school could be. Yeah. Yeah. So that was kind of funny. But um, I don't disagree. I've always wondered. I've always wondered, you know, did did these kids come willingly or when they hesitate? Was Xavier like, Ugh, come on, I'm, I'm sick of this. And then like just kind of, you know, use his powers to get them to go. And is that something that people would do if they had that power? Um, so, yeah, I, I think about that a bit. Um, but that's sort of the the question that I always have in, in these like recruitment scenes um, for the X-Men. Um, because it's impossible to know where the ethics lines are drawn around Xavier. Yeah, ever. and we know yeah. that he like definitely in in some stories, I guess we know that he definitely did do that to Jean, like you know, mess with her brain, mess with her powers, sort of kind of you know, to get her to I guess feel safe or whatever. Which is there's so much there that's wrong, um, but 
<laughs> yeah, um, I've always sort of wondered that. So I thought that it was interesting. It was, you know, still kind of present in this in this issue. Yeah, Professor X is so manipulative, even without using his powers. But like, there's this panel at one of, at um, one of these pages where Bobby's like, "What's an X Men?" and Charles Xavier has his like fingers very pointedly, and he's like, "You are," and it almost feels to me like a like a psychic command. Um, but I mean, you can read it any way you want. My real lingering question was like, as a continuity thing, do we see Judy again? I miss her. Nope, she's never been back. Well, maybe someday. We could write, yeah, we could write the return of Judy sometime. Uh, a story only I want to hear. Referencing a Terry, <laughs> referencing a Terry Blast story. She's his best Judy. <laughs> yeah, that's what it's called. The title is Best Judy, starring Iceman. I adore the psychology of Iceman here. Uh, where it's just, it's very, it's very poignant. Where he says, "You know, I'm okay, I'm good," and he covers himself in ice and puts a smile on, which is his character, right? In Cena Grace's series, there's a moment where uh, Bobby's parents feel like they uh, have lost their chance with Bobby. Things are too difficult. But now, teenage Bobby has come to the future, and they're like, "Oh my God, we can do it all over again." And they bring teen Bobby into a coffee shop, and they're like dumping all of their expectations on him and he literally just freezes into a block of ice and is like uh bye <laughs> he's <laughs> he's frozen which then ties us into luciano's story when he uh he just freezes himself uh, outside of reality like no one can touch me the vulnerability is too hard uh and so it's 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 something that's gorgeous about his character him always being the jokester to cover up his vulnerability uh is 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 somehow really beautiful I don't know. Any thoughts on that? This this is what it's like to podcast with a therapist, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that, that's my, as a side note, that's my favorite thing in the whole of Cena's run, uh, where adult Bobby is the one reaching out. It, it feels like a whole reparenting scene yeah. where you have, uh, it's like reaching out to your inner child and replacing those impressions that bad parenting left on you uh, with what you have learned as an adult. Uh, so that, that that's my favorite, favorite moment. From yeah. I look forward to having Cena Grace on one day when he feels ready. Uh, and I, I will definitely sing his praises. He did a lot of wonderful things with that character. Uh, this has been a blast to uh, analyze this character. I hope uh, I hope all of you are leaving with some new understandings, not only maybe of Iceman and the X-Men, but maybe even of yourselves, because we all learn <laughs> <laughs> these poor queer friends talking about uh, uh, queer characters. I, uh, I am astounded by how beautiful it is to have a world where queer characters are written by queer creators uh, and, and, you know, women of color are written by women of color, et cetera, et cetera. I think it's, uh, I think it's really wonderful to see these things taking place. Uh, and I love this character. Iceman is now part of the new X-Men team, uh, embracing his power. And we're going to see what happens with him as uh, continuity, continuity moves forward. But, uh, but I feel like for the first time in my life, and I've been reading comics for decades, I have a grasp on who Iceman is. Uh, there's been a lot of wonderful work done around his character in the last 10 years. Um, and uh, he's, he's great. He's one of my favorites. Uh, any final thoughts from any of you before we wrap up? Um, I I did my homework and I read the, the original story. Uh, this is based on uh, also like next to each other. Uh, uh, 
I I wonder whether the choice was to leave out the most fun part or interesting part of action packed part of the story out in this interpretation. Uh, you know, like the, the whole actually fighting the, the lynching mob uh, part. Um, sorry, I went back to, to analyzing the- Oh, don't be the, sorry. I, uh, I feel like there's, there's a, whenever you bring up the word lynch, it is such a racially charged topic because it's something that was done to so many people of color across America's history. It's very much associated, associated with like the Ku Klux Klan. Uh, it's an uncomfortable story to tell about a white kid being threatened with being lynched. I, I haven't interviewed yes, with, though, so I, I mean, can't with, say that that was but yeah, but I, it, I can see be, that being why they left it out, perhaps. Yeah, probably. But I mean, you, st you can still talk about, uh, what's the word, uh, bashing? Yeah, yeah. Uh, which which do happen in the queer community. Hate crimes, absolutely. Uh, um, because I, I, I feel like it, it had a different uh, impact for Bobby to face the, the actual danger of a physical uh, threat uh, rather than a protest outside of a jail. Sure. Like, uh, I know that, that that's, that's what uh, uh, caught my attention the most of comparing the, the two stories. Yeah. Um, also, I don't know how, how how much, uh, long after X2 this came out. Um, but I feel like it, the, for a few years, like this was the, the valid representation we accepted. <laughs> like the, it, it was all we could get. And uh, even if we, it, it is heavily coded, like I remember when X2 came out in the movies and we all saw that scene. And we all say, oh yeah, this is our queer representation. <laughs> like, uh, uh, like X2, we, we, X2 came out in 2003. This was released in 2009. Uh -huh. But I, I feel like it's part of the side phase. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, I feel like they, back then we naturalized that this was uh, all we could get from uh, making this metaphor explicit. Um, so I, I feel like uh, when people read this in 2009, this, uh, uh, there wasn't that much question about uh, is this uh, metaphor or not? It clearly was, and it was uh, uh, as good as we were going to get for a while. Yeah, this is the, this is the gayest they'd let him be for a minute. <laughs> Uh, uh, any final thoughts from Josh or Terry before we wrap up? I don't think so. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I think that like, um, you know, I think the metaphor here is, is like very obvious, but um, the fact that it's kind of about survival and Bobby just looking for a way to live his life, that he can be free of this kind of like oppression and hate. And it's like not, it's not like a, a solid solution living at the, living at the mansion, but it's a start. And I thought this was like a really, I don't know, 
it's a very powerful, like he's found a new community to throw himself into. He doesn't know how it's going to go, but he's like, he's all in. And so um, I loved it. I'll just say that I'm happy that now we don't have to rely on that metaphor. Now we can yeah. read, you know, this new run that Luciano's written and he can be very gay and we can love it. A uh, really quick polling question for each of you, just off the top of your head. Who is your favorite of Iceman's girlfriends? And uh, who do you like Iceman with most uh, as an as out gay man? Girlfriends? Uh, well, Kate for me, I guess. Uh, Kate, Kate is your favorite? Yeah, I mean, she's the last one and the most uh, explicitly uh, part of the transition. Uh, and I like the the after development they had. Uh, so yeah, her for me. And how about as a for boyfriend? Who's... Uh, <laughs> well, I, I I made my choice, uh, well, well, but it's not necessarily a, a final one for me. I I also feel like uh, uh, Bobby will hook up with everyone <laughs> and <laughs> explore how to make uh, love life work for him. I, I think it's, it's uh, like uh, every superhero, queer superhero we see it's uh, a commitment and relationship. Uh, and I don't think that's necessarily the thing for Bobby. Uh, even if he can uh, fall in love and, and share his life with Romeo or whoever, uh, maybe uh, maybe, maybe Romeo uh, as his main squeeze, but they're open and he can do what he wants on the side. <laughs> maybe. Uh, Josh, did you have a favorite girlfriend for Bobby? Uh, and then, uh, who's your love interest idea for him? Sure. Um, for Bobby, I mean, I like Judy right now because we just read about her. <laughs> but um, beyond Judy, I feel like in the 90s, he and Rogue kind of had this like soft flirtation going on. I seem to remember them going on a road trip together and like there being a lot of like, I guess what I would read now is sexual tension going on. Um, so I've always liked him and Rogue, but uh, even as just a gal pal uh, and for lovers, um, you know, uh, I like I like Deacon a lot. Um, but uh, I would say Hercules. I want to see a champions reunion where it's just as queer as possible and everyone's thirsting after Warren. I think uh, I think that's lovely. With uh, Warren being the the soft gay and uh, Johnny Blaze being <laughs> the hard straight guy in the back. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Terry? Well, I was going to say that my favorite boyfriend for him is Warren. Um, <laughs> and his, his childhood love. Yeah, why not? And um, as for like former girlfriend, story wise, I like I think Kate because in Cena's run, some of the stuff that she has with with him. Um, so yeah, I guess I'd have to say Kate. 
Uh, I'm I'm digging the Iceman Hercules connection now. That would be fun to see. Uh, I like I like uh, I like Iceman and Romeo. I'm happy with where that ended. And as far as girlfriends, I gotta stick with uh, with my '60s girl Zelda Dubois. Or oh my God, Zelda Dubois is the Princess Python. Zelda Kurtzberg from the Coffee Go Go. She's uh, she's got to be my favorite. Uh, all right, everybody. This has been so much fun to connect with uh, all three of you. Thank you for uh, your time and your talents. Uh, it's wonderful, uh, Josh and Terry, to see you both again. And Luciano, it's wonderful to get to know you. Uh, as we're wrapping up, let's uh, let everybody know where you could be found online. And uh, recognizing this episode is coming out on September 19th, is there anything we can look forward to coming out from you that you're allowed to talk about? Uh, let's go in the same order of uh, Luciano, Terry, and then Josh. Okay. Uh, well, I'm on Twitter as Luciano Vecchio and Luciano Vecchio Art on Instagram. Um, and around those dates, we'll have my issue of um, uh, <laughs> Spider-Verse uh, Edge of Spider-Verse introducing Spinnerella a magic princess version of Spidey uh, which is super fun um, for DC Comics um, her, na her name is Spinnerella? yeah <laughs> oh my god I love it <laughs> uh, and I'm drawing a few issues of Teen Justice for DC Comics with writers Danny Lohr and Ivan Cohen and I have a Super Sons story in the Halloween special which I love because uh, I, I I got a chance to draw bisexual Superman but when he was a kid <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I love Super Sons and, and they're so fun to, to draw so yeah and, and a bunch of covers all around uh, and I'm back mainly on artist duties right now wonderful uh i look forward to each of those uh and then terry next um i'm terry blast on instagram and twitter my website is terryblast.com and um i have nothing i can talk about but a month from when this airs i will have an announcement <laughs> yay so i guess keep your eye on my social media I forgot about one. <laughs> um, <laughs> may I? Um, uh, in a few weeks, I will be announcing the English edition of my creator own work uh, as writer artist. It's called Sereno. It's a queer -led superhero story and will be published by CEX. Uh, and I will have a proper announcement by when this is here, I think. Fantastic. Uh, I got to draw the uh, the Terry Iceman parallel too. Terry drew this Iceman on my wall right there. Uh -huh. <laughs> and then uh, over to Josh. Sure. Um, let's see. What can I talk about? Blue Beetle is going to be happening uh, starting in November. So uh, when this airs, you should be able to pre-order issues one and two. So do consider doing that. Um, beyond that, more Hulkling and Wiccan is coming out by the end of the year. I can't say exactly when because I don't know. Um, and then uh, you should be able to order the comic Pool Boys for me and Josh Cornean, um, probably on our web stores uh, by the end of the year. So look out for that. And I just got to meet Josh Cornean. It was uh, that was lovely to meet him at FlameCon as well. My one true love. Oh yeah, and find me on uh, social media at Lost His Keys Man. 
And then uh, lastly, I keep my own social media private because I've got kiddos. The three of you are all welcome to add me if you have not. Uh, but uh, Gray Malkin, you can find on uh, Gray Malkin PP, like podcast on Twitter or Gray Malkin underscore lane on Instagram. Uh, we've got a t-shirt shop up now with some great stuff. Uh, check out our new Princess Python designs if you haven't. They're uh, adorable. Uh, we also have some uh, great Patreon stuff coming up. I'm doing focused episodes on Patreon with one person at a time. Around the time this comes out, I will have just posted uh, an episode on Sidorak with my friend Hussein Rashid, uh, who I also got to meet in New York, which was uh, amazing. And then uh, uh, right after that, we're going to do an episode on uh, the Savage Land Mutate Lorelei with uh, Demanda Martini, who I also got to hang out with. At, uh, <laughs> when I recorded earlier this week with Sam Humphreys, I had just come back with FlameCon and Sam like read me for filth through the podcast. Like, oh, I'm Chad and I'm in New York hanging out with all of my 60 famous friends. <laughs> I was like, leave me alone, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> but I, uh, I get to talk about people I've met now, which is great. Uh, uh, our next episode after this, uh, we're going to be reviewing Untold Tales of Spider-Man number 21 with the incredible Tom Brevoort, who I am super honored to uh, welcome to the pod. And uh, other than that, uh, Watch For Us will be uh, uh, coming out with new content consistently, including the, uh, the trial of Mastermind and Mesmero coming up, which is going to be great. So uh, thank you, everybody. We will uh, see you back here next time on Grey Mountain Lake. Thank you for listening to Gray Malkin Lane. We hope you are enjoying this podcast. Gray Malkin Lane is produced and recorded in Salt Lake City, Utah, with music and editing done by my husband, Michael Bell, and promo art done by the incredible Seth Martell. Look for us on Patreon, where we are releasing weekly episodes about obscure characters and facts. Uh, it's a great way to participate with the podcast for only just a couple of dollars a month, and it helps support what we are doing here. Also, the best way you could help... Grand Malkin Lane is by sharing and liking and subscribing, but also please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll see you back here next time on Grand Malkin Lane.